Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottens. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for joining us today. You know, have you ever heard or seen that acronym IRL? It stands for In Real Life. And you know, that's what Michaela Tabert and her family are practicing to improve their farming operation. They're not just talking about soil health. They are pursuing it in real life. They're building diversity using on-farm research, observation, innovation, trial and error, all working together to create a successful system. Is it a perfect science? By no means. But through communicating and articulating their goals with one another, they're moving forward to build resiliency and profitability on their farm, and it's exciting to see it in motion. Michaela and her husband, Benjamin, are the third generation of Trinity Creek Ranch in Red Lake Falls, Minnesota, which her grandparents started in 1952. They farm alongside her parents, David and Peggy Miller. Together, they have a cow-calf operation that consists of 150 beef cows along with a small feedlot, and their diverse grain operation includes raising corn, soybeans, wheat, piola, alfalfa, turf grass, cereal rye, and sunflowers, and they also sell forage and cover crop seed. We're excited to talk today to Michaela as she lets us take a peek into their operation and some of the discoveries they've had in their journey. So Michaela, thanks so much for joining us today. We're looking forward to this conversation and and we'd love to hear you tell us about your story and what brought you to this spot today. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up loving cows truthfully like that was and like I loved when the vet would come out and we would do work cows vaccinate whatever and so like I kind of grew up with the thought that I wanted to be a veterinarian and truthfully the best thing I ever did was that I went and worked at a vet clinic in town here and it was it was an awesome opportunity great people I worked with but I learned that I didn't really want to be a vet I just really liked working with cows sure and so kind of through like the end of my high school career, I kind of started to see that I really liked being on, on our family's operation, I guess, and really just liked that experience. Like, I don't know, I just always loved, like I was reading my baby book and like at, at the age of like one and a half, two, I would just sit there and move with the cows out. Like I just loved cows. Yes. And as I started, so I, I kind of started an undergrad at North Dakota State University in Fargo in animal science with kind of the, the goal of coming back and kind of running the cattle side of the operation. But basically because I had taken a lot of online classes and stuff in high school, I was gonna graduate faster than I maybe was ready to, I guess. And I had sure. a lot of scholarships. So I ad- ended up adding on a crop and weed science major, which kind of gave me more of a holistic perspective. Um, I always, I grew up on an operation that was basically no-till, strip-till, so I've never actually till the field of my life. So that was kind of, I, I kind of already had a different perspective of what I was learning in college and just kind of through, through all of that, I like, I knew I wanted to farm and like, we liked a lot of things. We liked soil health and stuff. My, and kind of just talking with my dad about kind of future goals and stuff. 
kind of gave me that emphasis and, and goals in learning. I really liked research. And so that kind of brought me to graduation, I guess. And I, my husband and I got married the next month after we graduated and knew we wanted to come back here and farm and thought it would be easy, but, and it, and it, it went very smoothly. Like I'll give my parents a lot of credit. They were very open to us being there and making it work and willing to do that. But it definitely was not the easiest transition. Like communication ended up being a big thing. And probably another good thing we did is we incorporated the farm just for, for an ease of transition and liability. And that made us have to have meetings. Conversations. And so yeah. we would That's sit down and have meetings yes. and they would be long. <laughs> I don't know. So, so that was a really good thing of that. So especially like in the soil health things that we've been working towards that it's been good when my, my dad has been interested in that as well. Sometimes not maybe as all in as my husband and I want to be, but it's been good that he's wanted to learn these things as well. And there's kind of a give and take in that, that, I mean, we have all these new ideas, but we don't have the experience. And so he's had, my dad has had a lot more experience in all of it. So in some ways we have to yield to that experience or be willing to try things on a smaller scale, I guess. Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, you take the best of, of all the pieces and you evaluate and kind of, and even if you've tried something before that, or, you know, that you think might not work, but maybe there's a different context for it. That's a a, a real thing too, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what the farm looks like, give folks an idea of uh, what you're growing and how you're doing that. So when my husband and I moved back, it was primarily a rotation of corn, soybeans and wheat. And then we would raise um, alfalfa for, um, for hay production. We have a beef cow calf operation with, I mean, a fair amount of pasture, it was already pretty well established with the rotational grazing and um, we intensified that quite a bit more. Now we're pretty much to daily moves and then we keep our own calves and have a small feedlot that we, we feed them ourselves and are trying to do some direct marketing in that. But, but now as we've kind of transitioned, we've added in several crops, kind of trying to increase our diversity and just trying to make cover crops work a lot more and like just trying to build our soil health and our, and our profitability, just even from a grazing perspective, we're outwintering cattle a lot more. So we added in um, sunflowers, um, tall fescue for a, a turf seed production. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we added in field peas, which actually has now turned into piola, which is an intercrop of field peas and canola that you plant and harvest together and then separate after it's harvested, um, which, which isn't too complicated because it's a pretty, pretty big difference in seed size. So we, like we, we're still using just a rotary screener because we haven't invested in a better seed cleaning system at this point in time. And we, we are putting in some just like complex covers that are just purely for grazing, especially in the winter is the goal to try to decrease our winter feed costs. Yes. There's so much there to unpack and just what you said. First of all, taking advantage of all of the diversity that you have. Why don't you give our listeners uh, some context as to where your farm is located and some of the soil types and climate that you have to contend with? Because that does affect your crop rotations and things you're doing. Talk a little bit about that with us. Yeah, so we farm, it's by Red Lake Falls, Minnesota, which is about 
45 miles straight to the east of Grand Forks, so northwest Minnesota. And I, I would like being up here, we have a shorter season. And so a lot of people would say a lot of the things we do don't work here. And there's definitely a challenge to, I mean, just, just cover crops in general. A lot of people around here think that they're not possible here, which after your cash crop, I agree. So that's what's pushed us into doing things like interseeding for for like the longer season crops that we're I mean we're harvesting them after the snow is on the ground most of the time. Like so so that's been that as far as soil type. We are close to the valley, but we are not blessed to have the valley soil. So we're kind of in the outwash. So in general, we're more farming sandy loam, probably. Mm-hmm. Lighter soil. Actually, the reason my dad made the transition to no-till actually about when I was born was when that was done, um, was because of how much erosion was happening with our soil because it was so light and, and wanting to build the soil organic matter. But yeah, so being this far north, there's a lot of people that would would, would say that doing cover crops is impossible. It's not super hard and, and it is. And we definitely didn't do, go all in on anything that we wanted to do at any time. I, I think that's where people really get scared is when you feel like they have to do it with everything. But a lot of things we tried on like an eight acre, 10 acre kind of scale before we would scale it up. And it was really helpful to get um, Equip and CSP and some other cost share sort of programs. And basically whatever money we got for that practice, we just spread across more acres was kind of our goal. So usually the payment was more than what would really cover the seed and application. So, but yeah, we tried a lot of aerial applications early on for things like in soybeans and it was pretty disappointing truthfully. So, and, and like in corn is the same sort of deal. Mm-hmm. after wheat was usually a slam dunk but you don't get a ton of growth up here truthfully usually if you're not doing something like cereal rye it's really hard to get much growth to pay for that I guess but yeah so that kind of doing those aerial applications and, and we were kind of watching what other people across the nation were doing kind of pushed us into doing the inner seating routes where we actually designed our own inner seater. Excellent. It sounds like you guys are really investigating and evaluating everything. Mm-hmm. I like how you said that you're just starting on a small level, which is what we encourage mm-hmm. folks to do, to do enough yeah. that it would be a little painful if you didn't like, right. you know, sometimes if you're, you're not going to lose the enough, farm. Yeah. You're not going to lose mm-hmm. the farm, but you've done enough that you want it to succeed. Right. right. I mean, yeah. that's really the goal, isn't it? And I'm just reminded because we do hear it a lot. You can't mm-hmm. do that here. And that almost is like a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Like, well, let's just see what we can do here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and, and I truthfully, we have said some of those things too and had to like, tr- like easily your mind is your biggest limiting factor and what yeah. you think can and can't be done. And sometimes what's most helpful is talking to, or I mean, be it on Twitter or Facebook, we follow some people that are Yes. Doing things out there or, I mean, you know, your farm magazines has some stuff as well, or sure. like, just like, that's what keeps, I think you going and challenging what you already think to be your options. That it's, it's definitely a really cool movement. The soil health movement where people are, aren't doing it on their own. Like there's a lot of collaboration and idea sharing. 
Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things that I want you to tell us about is, you know, it's neat because your dad has been no-tilling for Mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. So, but what we kind of know about that is no-till without the biology is not, it's no wonder that so many people tried no-till, but then went back from adopting it because they just had that one piece. There was no system. And so can you talk a little bit about how he saw that transition happen and what that looked like? Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the transition to no-till can be difficult, but, but you definitely hit it on the head that it's just like a piece of the puzzle. And so, I mean, I said like dad wanted to reduce erosion and increase soil organic matter. Absolutely. The erosion was decreased. I mean, even, even the structure of the soil and, and the infiltration, I would say improved, but we weren't like cycling the nutrients. We weren't building organic matter. And so I, we, in 2012, which would have been my senior year, senior year of high school, was the first year that we started actually seeding the cover crop. And I think it was a government program that it was a really dry year. And so there was it, like dad seeded something after wheat. He like just remembers how, I mean, how much growth there was because it was an early fall. And so or, or, it was early harvest. So they were able to have pretty good growth for that fall. And so the grazing was great. And then he remembers seeding into it the next spring. Like it was, it was just a lot nicer of a seed bed than it was before. And so we've been trying to keep, keep capturing that and trying to get the biology going by having things like cover crops. We're trying to do pretty diverse mixes and we're, we're basically to the point that all of our cropland ends up receiving a cover crop every year now. Excellent. Um, but But yeah, so kind of the hope of that is that we'll start to be able to build, I mean, our organic matter, that's obviously not the the only soil parameter to measure, but it is one that's tangible and, and there is a financial value to building that as well. Exactly. And I think, you know, you hit on so many great pieces. I think that you see that as you're out in the field, and we talked about this with Dr. Groover on a podcast, and he was talking about that grower observation, the stuff that you're seeing that's happening out there that you can't quantify on a traditional Mm -hmm. soil test. Are there some specific things that come to mind for you or maybe your dad that really he has seen change? Yeah, I, we, we should be better at bringing a shovel around to our fields, but we're not. But I remember a couple of years ago, NDSU did a had, a, had a small trial and they had to basically dig around the outside for the edges. And the first, like, so it was probably a foot down or whatever. And like, we all went, looked and we were just gawking at all the earthworms truth. Like yeah. we just hadn't really, and it was very early spring and it was a field that we'd only been farming for two, three years. So that was really cool to see. Yes, for sure. There's even a little sticker on my computer here. You might not be able to read it, but it says the two most important things in your field are your shadow and your shovel. And so we, we firmly believe that here. And Mm -hmm. so that that's great though, because you're seeing like actual results of that Mm -hmm. biology happening. So, Mm -hmm. and, and part of that is you guys are part of the soil health partnership, right? And you're doing, Mm -hmm. and of course, COVID kind of nicked some of the testing stuff that y'all were doing, but tell us a little bit about what you kind of expect to see and and what you guys are looking for as you're working with them and, and and how you'll take advantage of that data. And so what we're doing with the soil partnership is it's a five-year comparison of cover crop versus no cover crop essentially um, and it, it's a replicated strip trial and so they're basically trying to get 
like we all know that it's good to have cover crops and like it's supposed to be profitable and stuff but they're trying to actually find the get the data to back that up and so they're doing a lot of soil testing so we did a, a fair lot of soil testing the first year and then soil health testing as well and then that should is supposed to be done every year we didn't do it last year because of covid so we're going to follow what the soil is and then actually it's really nice they're allowing us to basically farm it that we normally would so we don't have to keep all the chemical applications the same or all the fertilizer applications the same. And so as we get hopefully through a, a couple of years that we're going to get to the point that maybe we can reduce our fertility, for example, on the cover crop, or we've really seen that cover crop use has really decreased our need for herbicides. So we'll, they'll be able, like, they're asking for dollar values for all these things. So at the end of the five years, we'll be able to really see if it is profitable and, and what, what that number actually is. And then if you are changing your soil and what that number is in there, they're not just using our one field, but they're compiling it with many, many, I mean, they're doing it by location as well, but then they're compiling it with all across the, the states. Excellent. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to be great for us to have some of those data points because mm -hmm. uh, that really leads us to this whole, how beneficial is it bottom line? And right. that's another like old paradigm is that mm -hmm. in, in agriculture, we've always been focused around yield. We talk about that yeah. a lot. In my previous life, I worked a uh, ag software developer. So we were doing accounting, financial production yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so we were tracking cost of production mm -hmm. and we knew that, you know, yield is great, but also it's not the only thing, not at any cost. Mm -hmm. And, and you guys talk a lot about that. Don't yeah. you, you really look at those things because we got to look at what our inputs are and mm -hmm. what our reduction of inputs are. And, yeah. and so tell us a little bit about how you guys are evaluating some of those things. What does that look like on your farm? Yeah, it ends up being a lot of book work. <laughs> It does, doesn't it? <laughs> for sure. But but yeah, I definitely echo that, that there's a chase for yield. And, and I think for a while, I think we maybe were there, especially my dad. That's, that's just what is so ingrained, I think. And that, that's what gets talked about and stuff. But yeah, as we start to, to think about how much we spend in, in a year on any input, fertility, chemicals, whatever. And so over the last three, four years, especially, we've really dialed back that. And I would say our yields are, are comparable, but but that's not our goal. Our goal is ultimately profitability. Sure but, sure. but yeah, so, so like, yeah, cover crop is definitely an extra input and it's an extra expense and you have to seed it. But we definitely feel like by the time you factor in the chemical use or like the, the reduction in chemicals, um, the reduction in fertilizer, which has been really a moving target and hard to quantify, but, sure. but I think we're, we're getting there. And especially the grazing benefit and, and not having to haul the manure and like the time savings, not having to run the tractor to feed the cows. I, I think easily we're ahead by planting the cover crop for sure. Certainly. Well, and the biology is ahead, right? Right. So right. not only- And it's not a one-year thing. Like that's what I like about the Soil Health Partnership plot. Like it's a five-year thing because you, you can't guarantee you're going to get your money back in a cover crop in one year or sometimes even two, but doing it over five, I think is a nice- time span. That was what we really liked about their trial. It was looking longer term. Yes, absolutely. And that leads to, you know, you can do things as you've mentioned several times, but like enterprise stacking. So yep. you're yep. able to do some of these things where you're not slated into, you've got one monocrop and it's right. make or break. 
Mm -hmm. And now you have some opportunities because I I think I heard you say, I I sort of stalked you a little bit uh, and was listening to some of the things that you talked about. And I think you'd mentioned that one year there was a time when you couldn't get a crop in or couldn't get it. I wasn't sure, but you were able to do some other things Mm -hmm. because uh, you had those opportunities available because you were diversified. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. And maybe what I was for, like, I don't remember a time we weren't able to harvest a crop, but it is nice to always have the fail safe of the cattle. If we, like, there was, uh, I think it was a couple years ago that we had a pretty cool fall and like a lot of people were talking the corn wouldn't make maturity and and like yeah that would have been a hit for us but truthfully having the cattle we could have very easily grazed that corn I mean we we definitely would have probably done it in one or two day moves to to try to manage that giving corn part but but yeah like being able to have the cattle as a fail safe I think is a really nice option so so crop insurance isn't necessarily your only backup option. Yes. And I think that's another component Mm -hmm. of this whole system that we look at as we, you know, evaluate uh, where to go. I love that you had on your, on your Facebook page, I think you guys had a quote from Ray Archuleta that says, seek food from farmers who mimic nature in their systems and have the correct why in their lives. Mm -hmm. These are the farmers who care about the land and the people and want to provide nutrient dense food for their customers. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, as you're looking at, you know, grazing your cattle and, and all those types of things, you're really addressing some of those things on your farm, aren't you? Yeah, we're doing our best. I I mean, I would say that we're maybe not where we necessarily want to be, but it's kind of a journey to that. I, I think there's definitely a lot of things in agriculture that, that will need to change in the very near future for, for us to keep supplying a, a quality product for sure. Absolutely. I just really appreciate that. I did want to take a moment though, to really delve into how do you work as a team on your farm around your farm table or however you guys do it when you meet and you talked early on about how you had to have some conversations mm-hmm. because you incorporated that type of thing. What does that look like? And what tips can you give folks as they're trying mm-hmm. to have these conversations? Yeah. I mean, probably a big thing early on is knowing everyone's actual expectations and, and what they what they really want or something my husband initiated between him and I and my, and my parents because my mom is very active she too she's just not so much into the decision making sure but, but she works maybe harder than the rest of us <laughs> but, but um so so he had us sit down and basically write down all of our goals personal goals farm goals long term short term whatever it was a really good activity to do just a personal activity to like sit down and write down some goals and, and try to make them you know the, the smart goals or whatever specific measurable attainable time based and whatever they are realistic. We can't think i think you said realistic realistic yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so like so like that's good but then also being able like the the big helpful part was to come together and be able to look at everyone else's goals and and really see like even when we do have disagreements about things ultimately we really have a lot of the same goals maybe maybe a little bit different but like if you boil it down we have very similar goals and so it was good to like then sit down together and figure out as a as a group how we were going to meet those goals together I guess that was a really good activity that we did. And then probably the other big one is communication, which is kind of a 
maybe a, an easy answer, but it, but it really is truthful. I would say like throughout things saying what is needed or what people are seeing and before letting, before letting things get too big or out of hand or anything yes. like that. That's a great way to put it and it kind of address it up front. And I think it sounded like you each kind of follow different people. So you watch different YouTube things or have different interests, but yet you bring that back together yeah. and have those yeah. conversations. Right. And trying to share that with each other. And yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I know people will be like, talk about the equipment, Kim, what they're using. <laughs> because you guys have done some innovative things with equipment. Tell us a little bit about what you do there. Yeah, I'll do my best. It's not my super strength. I am more into the book work. I, I, yeah, I can do some. Um, so the interceders, I, I guess we are on the second version now. The, the first version, we basically, we probably put four grand into it. And it was basically, we took an old cultivator bar and stripped it all off and then bought old um, double disc openers from an, an older style John Deere drill and rigged that up with a Gandhi box that dad picked up cheap at some auction. I give my dad a lot of credit. He's very, very good at that creative, more technological mechanic side. That, that's the like the really nice thing about having so many of us that can work together. Like, you know, you have different strengths and you don't, I like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not good at that sort of thing. Yeah, we but that together. And that was kind of our proof of concept. I mean, it wasn't pretty. It was all kinds of different colors. And like, that was actually like when we showed it at a field day we had, like that was the goal. It was to like, farmers are so innovative. Like absolutely, they really can figure out a lot of things themselves. They don't, we don't, you know, if, if you decide that you want to do something, I would say a lot like farmers could figure out a way to do it. I agree. Yeah. And so it wasn't, it wasn't pretty and it didn't work wonderfully, but it kind of was our idea that we were going to try it and see how it worked before we bought the, the, what we have basically now, which we yes. bought bought something that was designed and set up for, for putting down 28% as a side dresser. And then they added on a Volmer seed box to be able to, to do the seeding and, and put the double disc openers on and everything. I think there's some pictures on our Facebook page if people were interested in that, or you can definitely reach out to me on the Facebook page and I could send some photos of these things as well. You bet. That's awesome. But, point. but yeah, so, and, and that ended up being a, a more expensive machine, but what a, kind of our whole model is, is we like to try things on a, a less risky, smaller scale before we would scale it up. Yes, for sure. Well, and the thing is that it, it's just like you said, farmers can envision and build stuff oh, yeah. when they're, when they're in the shop and being able to do some mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff, it does, it, it is an enjoyable thing for a lot of folks. I mean, yeah. certainly it provides a lot of frustration as well, <laughs> but I know that when it works and mm -hmm. that's what drives innovation. So it worked great the first time and you were sold and that was the end. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say, I mean, even the, the unit we have, like they, they made some tweaks here this winter and it's probably not exactly, like, I mean, just, just in the seating angle and, and just trying to get consistent down pressure and everything, but it's mm -hmm. so, and, and we've actually found that we decided we want to have uh, sensors for blockage sensors, because when we're putting that much seed through it, like, you know, at, at some point when you're putting that much money down, it, you got to do it right. Sure. So, sure. so like, I mean, I wouldn't say we have the perfect machine and it's like, it's still got some tweaks to be made, but yes, but you're seeing the advantages of that and like, give us an example of what you'd be doing with the interseeder and what you're yeah. planting. And the, the big, the big goals of that is to be able to intercede like our, our row, our 30 inch row crops. 
So like our corn, we're trying to usually intercede sometime V4-ish. I mean, kind of depends on the field and what that field's goals is. And But we're usually trying to put down something that, I mean, we're, we're trying to have diversity to benefit soil health, just to get the biology going, keep the biology going, whatever. Sometimes we're trying to actually keep something growing at all times. Like, so we'll try to do some cereal rye or camelinas or things like that, but but they don't overwinter wonderfully in that interceding kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably a big thing is for grazing purposes. Just, I mean, we, we strip graze most of our corn stalks and just trying to put some extra protein and energy out there so we can get some more grazing. And, and truthfully, the, the grazing definitely pays for the cover crop in that context, we feel like. But yeah, that, that's kind of our goals of doing that. We've been growing sunflowers. We've done it for two seasons now. And so we've been trying to figure that out. The first year we did it, we actually didn't even use the interseeder. We drilled the cover crop like the same day that we were planting the sunflower. And we're just trying to have diversity and have beneficial insects. And kind of the reason we even added sunflowers in is we wanted to be able to graze cereal rye in the spring and calve on the cereal rye and then be able to follow it with a cash crop is kind of the goal of that because sunflower can be seeded a little bit later. So we're, we're trying to kind of basically have something flowering all the time in that interseed mix mm-hmm. this last year in 2020 we did we well we decided that 2019 when we did it at the same time as planting the sunflower like the cover crop was maybe too competitive and so we wanted to do it later but last year we just got too late and so most of it got pretty well shaded out for the most part so sure. we're actually going to do a trial with ndsu kind of related to um, my my grad school research that i'm starting um, just kind of looking at some different seeding dates and and what kind of impact that has on on the sunflower and the yield and stuff. That's exciting. So you're in grad school right now. Then. Yeah, I'm just starting. Well, I uh, my application is in. I guess they oh. could reject me of all things, but I but yeah. So so kind of working <laughs> with an old professor. Well, actually, she was my um, advisor at NDSU. Awesome. And she kind of had this project coming, so she had kind of offered it to me to be able to do the grad school online and have some of the research here. I mean, they'll be still doing small plot research and stuff. So what will you be focusing on then? This is exciting. To yeah, um, so time. it'll be the focus, and, and there'll be someone looking at the molecular side, but this will be the agronomic impacts of having the cover crop, like basically as a, a weed pressure on the sunflower. Oh my gosh. Okay, folks, stay tuned as Michaela walks through her grad work here. Yeah, we'll see how long it takes me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, that is fantastic. Yeah, it'll be a really awesome learning experience for sure. Oh my gosh. And the thing is that there's just a lot of on-farm discovery going on, right? And there's so much to be learned and researched. Like it, it's a whole new realm. I would like, and I mean, research, there's a lot of researchers that are coming along and, and doing a lot of great work in it, but there is, there's just scratching the surface in most cases. And there's a lot that still needs to be done. For sure. And I think, you know, you and I, we, it's funny, we kind of have a similar background. I too was an animal mm-hmm. science major. You know, we learned a lot of things. Even you had mentioned that you'd learned in school mm-hmm. that didn't really match what you guys were doing on right. your farm because you'd been yeah. in hotel and you kind of recognize that. And so mm-hmm. we know there's a lot of work to be done. And I think when it's getting done on the farm by folks who have a vested interest in finding what works, it's a big deal. 
So that's super exciting. I think I read that you guys kind of got motivated on more of this soil health thing. You heard a speaker at a soil health conference somewhere that got you motivated. I mean, they, they had a great, um, like Jeremy Wilson from North Dakota, um, uh, Derek Axton from up in Canada was one of the speakers and, and Gabe Brown was there. That was, I mean, that was truthfully the first time I had heard Gabe Brown speak. And Gabe's example is, is great too. I mean, he had all of those stacked up hailstorms that sort of forced him into mm-hmm. this whole soil health thing, right. but then to see how quickly the soil recovered itself, that mm-hmm. the biology took yeah. over when we let it. Isn't that amazing? I it mean, makes you a little jealous. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> We don't feel like we've quite obtained that, but I understand. I understand. Well, and, and of course, every soil, every context is different. Yeah. So some may take longer than others, but well, that is fantastic. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to watch the work that you're doing and see okay. um, and learning about that competition. A, a few months ago, we had Jay McCammon talk about when weeds talk, he wrote a book about yep. it. And yep. are you familiar with that? Yep. And, yeah. And it's just fascinating to see, you know, yeah. what's happening and, and why weeds are competing. And they're really, mm-hmm. you know, just really giving us a message, you know, about what's going on. So. Right. That's fantastic. Well, Michaela, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on? You know, I didn't ask you about the seed separator. Yeah, we haven't. So, so yeah, so I think the intercropping world is a pretty exciting thing. And like the idea of, I mean, you're, you're obviously getting less yield of whatever crops you're growing, but when you sum them together, you're producing more on the same piece of land and often with reduced fertility needs, or, I mean, the people that are doing um, chickpeas and flax, like they're getting away with a lot less fungicide applications. So like, so there's those ramifications as well, but like the biggest, the hardest part is figuring out how you're going to handle having a inner like a mixed crop and I guess there's relay crops as well and we've we've tried a little experimentation of like a rye soybean inner crop or relay crop but but that you don't have to sort and so the sorting of the inner crop is the really hard part and so yeah. so we actually we, we started with peas and canola because that was probably the, the easy starter one mm-hmm. and actually one year we even did peas oats and canola all together and that was phenomenal but sorting peas and oats is really difficult really really difficult yes and so and we were we were kind of pricing what some seed separation stuff was going to look like because we haven't really figured out what we want to do yet and mm-hmm. it's a decent investment um so so like machinery yeah we're basically using an old rotary screener that is older than i am for sure maybe double my age i don't know sure but but that's kind of what we're using. It's kind of a proof of concept thing. It's not pretty, but it, it does the job someday we'll figure out something else. But the other tough thing of intercrop and the reason, a big reason we didn't make the investment in a seed separator is that you have to make sure that the people taking that crop are okay with remnants of that crop. Yes. And so like, we really like the peas, oats, and canola mix. Or, or even peas and oats do great together, but the people that take oats in our area don't like split peas in the, like that. They don't want that. Sure. So, so that was, that's a challenge of intercropping for sure. And these are things that will 
continue to uncover yeah. and, and resolve as we yeah. figure out what's going to be profitable and what makes sense right. for our soils and, and that type of thing. Right. Yeah. And what would be cool with the intercropping is if you get a bunch of farmers in one area or something that want to do it too. I mean, truthfully, it, you probably would only use it for three, four. I mean, we, we bend our piola all together and haven't sorted it yet. So it, like it's something that could be shared if enough people have the interest in it, but yeah. That's, that was just the question I was going to ask you is it's it something that in your area, you guys could, you know, work together yeah. and maybe, yeah, utilize it. Yeah. If people were interested in being as crazy as we were, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe someday. Well, you, never, you never know. And, and maybe I should say like what we're doing, like I, I would say profitability wise, it's definitely better. And like, I mean, we're, we're, I would say it's more for longevity and stuff, but like, there's a lot of management that goes with, I mean, just having that diverse of a crop rotation and trying to figure out the cover crops to use. And I mean, like it ends up being, being a logistical nightmare in some cases. It really but, can be. Oh yeah. It's, it's not for everyone. And I think, I don't know, I mean, it should be for everyone, but it, but it definitely is a management that a lot of people don't want to take on, or especially I think older farmers that, that want to retire in the next decade. It's, it's hard for them to make that change where that's where my generation really needs to take the ropes on these sort of things. Sure. Sure. I really appreciate that. And and, you know, it makes me wonder, like, what tools do you use? How do you decide, you know, what, what you're going to plant? I mean, so because of all that management, is there something that you use to help you navigate that? Or is it just a lot of research and figuring out, oh, we need this one to, to do this particular function? And how do you, how do you do that? So are you asking like how we figure out what cover crop species yes. to use? Yes. Um, yeah. It's a lot of research. I would say something that's been helpful. I, I use Excel spreadsheets for a lot of things I do. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of made up my own based off of the number of seeds per pound and basically can figure out how many, if, if we're doing like a, a mix that will drill, how many of each species will be in a square foot, for example, or even just if we're using the inner seed or what will be in that in a foot of that double row strip that gets seated in between the 30 inch rows. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. Um, and, and especially when you factor in cost with that, like there's a lot of things that we would love to put a whole lot of in, but I really struggle to justify a, a cover crop mix that's over 20 bucks an acre, unless, sure. unless I'm really going to get a lot of growth or a lot of grazing or something uh, like there, unless there's a Some real reason, but it's, it's just a lot of money to put down otherwise. I think, but depending on what your context is, I think some people can justify a higher cost, but I just don't feel like we can at this point. But yeah, so, and sometimes like we, we sell some cover crop seed ourselves. So sometimes some things I'm trying just to see how it works or, I mean, I kind of do, I mean, we like to kind of, I call it exploratory rates. And so I'll put in like a quarter pound or a half a pound of, of some given cover crop into a mix. And so then we, we try to follow up on every cover crop seeding that we do. We, we took a day and just kind of walked through our fields and took notes of like, oh, we really like the rate of how many sunflowers were in this mix or something like that. Or we seeded plantain and it didn't show up. It's maybe not worth doing. Sure. And so like so following up on your mixes is another big thing. Um, 
if you're brand new to it, I would definitely seek some insight of, I don't know, NRCS or other people that are doing cover crops in your area. Or I know the uh, Midwest Soil Summit, or there's people that are putting together cover yes. crop calculator tools sure. and stuff. Sure. So, so that would be a good place to start if someone was new and interested. But we've found a lot of value in just trying things and trying to make observations based off of those things and, and trying things usually not in a, a high cost kind of thing. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate you joining us and, and having this conversation. I think it's so important. And the thing that I appreciate the most is that, you know, you are in a more difficult area to adopt these practices. Well, in some ways, but like I said, like the, the, the ability to grow all of these different crops is like a huge blessing. People in corn soy country don't have that, or they have to work a lot harder to do that sort of thing. Good. Good point. Now that I know you're doing your grad work or that you have this researcher heart because it really helps to bring more of that data that we need as we're evaluating what to do. And isn't that a lot of what we're trying to figure out? It's just working together to figure out what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is, is there anything else that we missed or I've just enjoyed getting to visit with you? Thanks. I guess I can't think of anything. Well, good. Well, thank you. And, and we'll look forward to seeing what you're doing with some of your work and folks can follow you at Trinity Creek Ranch on Facebook. Is that right? Yep. And then you're also That's probably the best place best yeah. spot to find you. Uh, mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. So we'll post that in the podcast notes. And uh, so folks can see it and keep an eye on, on what you guys are doing. And we appreciate you sharing that journey with us. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate All it. Right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. As always, we hope that you've gained some ideas and insight into practices you can adopt on your farm. And if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to implement these practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on the links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. There's lots of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening. 